So from Matthew 26, starting at verse 17, as Scott said on page 703 in the Red Pew Bibles. The Lord's Supper. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, make this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep awake? Watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them asleep because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is here, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there are some very good things about weddings, and it's not just the uh, chance to get together with a few friends and enjoy seeing some people unite themselves in a, in a covenant relationship. The other good things that go with weddings are the feasts. I can uh, actually remember weddings because of what was had at the reception, um, and it's always a great moment, isn't it, if you get invited to a reception at a wedding. But can you imagine a wedding? say, between uh, Prince William and, and a new princess, but that a wedding um, that they'd have without a meal after the formal ceremony. Can you imagine Prince Charles uh, inviting the Prime Minister and other nobles and dignitaries? And then when the wedding ceremony's over, saying, all right, the wedding's over, that's all, folks. Uh, you can now just go home and eat by yourselves. It doesn't really fit, does it? I mean, I can't remember any wedding, public wedding ceremonies where there hasn't been some kind of meal afterwards. It seems to complete that whole ceremony. I think the only, uh, the closest that I've come to it is when uh, I got married here in Port Macquarie and our chauffeur, driver, wasn't really sure about which bowling club we were supposed to be going to for our reception. So whilst we had the whole uh, reception party and the feast at one bowling club, Port Macquarie Bowling Club, the... Um, the bride and groom went to Westport Bowling Club. So I was glad we sorted that little mess out. It would have been memorable for the wrong reasons if we didn't. But today as we consider participating and celebrating in the Lord's Supper, uh, I want to suggest that it's actually more like a, a meal that we have together that completes uh, a covenant ceremony, like a wedding. And it's a lot less like a reheated TV dinner. Uh, that one would have just by themselves. So as we come to understand uh, the context for the Lord's Supper, let's turn uh, to Matthew's Gospel. And my first point is that we need to understand in the context of the Passover. The Lord's Supper was established at Passover time. And the timing that Jesus gave for his disciples to have this Lord's Supper wasn't simply uh, something that was haphazard. It wasn't just a random bit of timing. Uh, in fact, Jesus planned it very carefully. And we can see this in chapter 26, verse 1 and 2 to begin with. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. I'll skip down to verse 17 now. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So we see that Jesus knew that his death would actually come in the context of this Passover meal. That was the time that the Jews annually celebrated each year a lamb that would be sacrificed and its blood poured out 
uh, at the foot of the altar. And people would uh, enjoy uh, the meal of the lamb with their family together with a, a series of cups of wine and some bitter herbs. This annual event was a reminder of the tenth mighty act of God uh, at the time of Egypt when he rescued his people out of slavery, out of bondage from uh, Egypt and under Pharaoh and brought them into the promised land. The Israelites remembered that the lamb was sacrificed in those days, that its blood was painted on the doorposts and on the lintel, uh, so that the angel of death would not destroy the firstborn of each household that had it. But the firstborn of every house that didn't have it was in big trouble. Uh, Even their cattle were destroyed. The places that didn't have a Passover lamb were um, struck down. Now this Passover festival uh, is a cultural event. It was a reminder for the families to speak. It, it spoke meaningfully into who they were as a people. When they thought of themselves uh, and who they were in the world, this annual event was a ritual which reminded them exactly who they were and what God had done to make them his people. And so part of the ceremony was that kids were actually expected to ask the head of the household what this ceremony meant. The head of the household was to explain that even the eating of the bread without yeast was a reminder that they they didn't have time to actually bake their dough and let it rise because they were hurrying to get out of slavery. Even the bitter herbs could have been a reminder that... um, of the bitter years, the bitterness of um, time spent in slavery in Egypt. And they would explain what we've just talked about, that the blood being poured on the doorposts and whatnot, so that the, uh, the destroyer would pass over and that lamb was a substitute. <coughs> in any case, kids grew up in families knowing that God was mighty to save, that he was mightier than the gods of Egypt, and that he was able to deliver them into the land in which they lived. And by sharing that story annually, the children grew up uh, thinking of themselves as the people of God. Now, rituals um, do have a place, don't they? They have uh, a place to remind people who they are. I know at uh, school, even these days, they continue to sing the national anthem. At the school my kids go to, they sing the second verse as well. I'm still yet to learn the second verse. Marketing experts have um, caught on to the value of rituals as they've put together their slogans and their jingles to keep their goods and services at the top of consumers' minds. As I was driving here to church this morning, I remembered uh, the Tui's jingles. Actually, when I was thinking about Phil Anderson and how does it feel, yep, they certainly had an impact on me. But... Jesus picks up on a ritual that has been uh, taking place for generations. And it's at that time of the Passover that he institutes his new Lord's Supper. And it's the timing of this event, the timing that Jesus gives the Lord's Supper, that is partly the key to its meaning. He's saying that we're having the Lord's Supper at Passover time, just before I'm about to die. And so he's saying that you ought to think of what I'm doing in terms of the Passover. 
And if we're still a little bit, you know, hazy and thinking that might be a bit of a long shot to say that what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Supper is somehow got linked with the Passover, Paul actually makes the link explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so as we think about the work of Jesus, we're thinking he's our Passover lamb. There was a Passover lamb in Egypt. Uh, the people ate that lamb, they wiped its blood on the door frames, uh, and that was how they were redeemed. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the one who redeemed us from the wrath of God from sin, and he's the one who delivers us not just from a slavery in some geographical location like Egypt, but from a slavery to sin and eternal death. And so what we have in Jesus is the ultimate Passover. <coughs> the second point I'd like to make is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper meal, which we'll be doing a little later today, we're celebrating a covenant relationship that's been established by God with his people. When we eat this meal, we're reminded of the warm relationship that we have with God. Now, I can show you this from uh, examples in the Bible where a meal has been passed down uh, as a sign of a new formed relationship. We see in the Old Testament a couple of examples, and also in the ancient Near East, where a meal was eaten between two parties that had come into a formal covenant relationship or a formal treaty or an alliance. What we see is that the people come to an alliance and it's after that that they have a meal. So the first example I'll give you comes from Genesis chapter 26 where Isaac, in response to a famine, moves out of the land and he moves into Philistine territory. But a king there, uh, Abimelech, finds that Isaac is actually becoming too powerful and he's a threat to him. And so they use the move-on laws. They kind of move him on his way. And he goes and builds a series of wells and every time that he does, they, they actually find water. And Abimelech is still a little bit threatened by Isaac and thinks, you know, this could be trouble. And so he says to Isaac, we saw clearly, this is Genesis 26 verse 28, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said... There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. And then Isaac then made a feast for them. And they ate and they drank. And so what that illustrates to begin with is that two parties... <coughs> formalised their arrangement with each other. They knew each other before, but then they came to a formal agreement about how they'd relate to each other, and in response to that, they had a meal together. The same thing uh, we can see with uh, Jacob, who's um, got trouble with his father-in-law Laban. Um, Leah and Rachel were his wives, but uh, Jacob is on the run from Laban, and Laban catches up with him. The good news for Jacob was that the night before, God had come to Laban in a dream and warned him not to harm Jacob. <clears throat> and so fortunately for Jacob, the two of them then make a covenant and it's in response to that covenant they have a meal together. 
And we can see the same pattern uh, occurring in two other places. Uh, the first one was with Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And then it's after that that the heavenly visitors come and there is a meal between Abraham and the presence of God in these heavenly visitors. But the one I want you to turn to now is if uh, you kindly turn to Exodus chapter 24. <coughs> we can see the big moment in Israel's life where, as a nation, they come to a formal agreement with God, like a, a wedding where God will be their God and they will formally become his people at Sinai. So in Exodus chapter 24, we see... The covenant relationship between God and Israel as a nation is entered into. 24 verse 3, down to verse 11. When When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. (coughs) Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. Again, we see a covenant relationship entered into and then a meal is had, which is a sign of the fellowship that they have. There's no longer a, a hostility uh, between people and God, they have actually entered into a relationship. And the meal that Jesus institutes for us in the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal as well. Did you notice um, the words that Moses chose? This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made. So that was, that was the, the blood was shed because they're making that covenant. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 27. Then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for them, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Jesus is giving us a new covenant meal. And this meal looks back both to the links with the Passover uh, and what was done for the people in that event. And it's looking forward like um, a feast to the, the kingdom wedding feast that comes in the future. And it speaks about the warmth of fellowship that we have with God. We actually uh, are no longer hostile to God. Uh, John 3.36 says, He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son won't see life, for God's wrath remains on him. 
If we don't have the Son, we stand in a hostile relationship with God. But this meal shows us that we are the people who do have the Son. We are at peace with God. We enjoy a warmth of fellowship with God. (coughs) My third point is that the Lord's Supper signifies the reality of the new covenant that we enjoy with God that comes through the work of Jesus. Since Jesus has come, he has brought a new covenant. Now, if we want to start talking in computer terms, I know this might have gone over the top of some of the folk from the 9 o'clock service. I regret this illustration for those people. But I'm sure that most people here are familiar with things like um, Commodore 64s, um, Microbees or VIC-20s. Maybe some people are younger than me. Okay, well, let's just say since the new covenant comes, uh, there is a new operating system now, and it's not Windows. It's the work of Jesus. We're not going back to this time of sacrifices and temple and priesthood and Passover. That would be a mistake. That would be like going back from um, the kind of computers you have now, back to kind of the VIC-20 days, the Commodore 64 and the microwave. A big mistake. And Paul has made the shift. He describes himself as a minister of the new covenant. And he tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Our confidence, this is 2 Corinthians 3, 5, our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, it's no longer appropriate to um, proclaim the old covenant. Paul's no longer proclaiming Judaism. He's no longer a minister of the Mosaic covenant of the letter. He's a minister of the new covenant, of the Spirit. And the Spirit is poured out on all those who have their faith in Jesus. We see this clearly, the difference actually, uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, where forgiveness comes completely through the permanent work of Jesus and the complete work of Jesus. So if you kindly turn to Hebrews chapter 9, I'll read from verse 22 about the forgiveness that we have that comes from the shedding of blood. But the permanent work that Jesus affects to bring forgiveness and the complete work that he brings. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and then we'll skip down to verse 26. Hebrews 9, 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Skipping down to verse 26. But now he, which is Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. He will also appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. (coughs) 10 verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers 
would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a meal that's a reminder of the new covenant relationship that we have with God and that it's founded on the permanent work of Jesus, once for all sacrifice, and the complete work of Jesus. We read earlier about how that work came to completion uh, when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for sin on our behalf. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the complete work that Jesus has done to bring us into a new covenant relationship with God where we stand as the new people of God. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we need to remember that it has links with the past, links with the Passover, a meal that families celebrated as they remembered how they were redeemed uh, by a lamb and rescued from the destroyer. And we remember that we are saved from God's wrath from sin by the perfect lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus. And the lamb in the past, that Passover, brought about their redemption from slavery and as today, we remember that we're not redeemed from a geographical location, but we're redeemed from eternal death, so that we enjoy life with God. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we remember that we're having a meal, which speaks about uh, the fact that we, although we're sinners, although our conscience is us, we still stand as people who are forgiven. We stand in fellowship with God. And it's an assurance as we enjoy that meal of the standing that we do have uh, with God. Even when we at times may fall into guilt and think we're not good enough for God, that's true, we're not good enough for God, but we still stand forgiven and this meal shows the fellowship we enjoy with God. And finally, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we're remembering that this meal talks about the permanent work of Jesus and the complete work of Jesus to bring us into that relationship with God, which we can now stand enjoying life with him and being his people. Let's pray and then celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord God, we do thank you for Jesus, who's our Passover lamb. <coughs> we thank you that he drank the cup of your wrath on our behalf for our sin. And Father, we do thank you that you've given us this meal, which is a sign of the, the fact that we have peace with you and that we're no longer in a hostile relationship to you, that we have a living relationship with you. And that we can take part in this meal on the basis of Jesus' work on our behalf. Father, we thank you that Jesus has dealt with our sin in a complete way and in a permanent way. That we might live as your new covenant people and enjoy life with you as our God. Lord God, we thank you for uh, this meal. That we can remember these wonderful and deep truths and that we can found our lives on them. And we thank you we can celebrate together in anticipation of the heavenly feast and wedding, wedding feast with you in heaven forever. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.